Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Moran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. We're recording. I am here in Boston this week, um, visiting a couple clients. So I'm stopping by today. I'm in the room here with uh, Todd Shawman, who is the director of marketing and analytics for the Christian Science Monitor. So, Todd, it's you know, thanks again for the time. You know, sit down, chat with Jason and I. Uh, how's it going? It's going well. I'm glad to see Jim face to face. Get to see him a couple times a year. I mean, I, I really, nice. when you were living in Hawaii, I definitely was trying to find a, a way to yeah. finagle a way out there to have some on-site time with you out there. We were, we were talking about like a 33 sticks retreat in Hawaii on the big island while I was there that didn't pan out. But honestly, the way that you guys are structured, we could probably have one in Bangkok uh, <laughs> or L.A. or Utah. I'm going to throw Jen under the bus and say we don't really want to go to Atlanta. Uh, but it's the traffic yeah Yeah, but like i mean so the thing i I read this morning and prep for this is that air asia x discount airline uh is they're receiving their first i think it's like airbus 330s which can do 7500 miles okay next year and so they're planning on more u.s flights Mm -hmm. at least at the la oakland somewhere in their area uh, starting next year. Yeah. I, I live vicariously through John. Yeah. We, I, I think we all do. <laughs> we, 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 we all do. And I, I tend to market his Instagram on almost every podcast we record because I, I am so fascinated by it. Just the, the culture and the food he shares. In fact, I asked him to start just recording some audio sound bites because I'm like, I just want to hear like the audio of, of what you're going through. It's just, it's so amazing to follow his journey. Yeah, it, it is fun. And to see that, I'm going to have to do the Instagram thing now, too. I have like five people I follow right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, he does. He's got a good two or three posts a day sometimes. Nice. Um, but uh, enough about us. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's talk more about you. So like over the last year and a half, as, as we've worked with you, I've gotten to know you pretty well. But, um, you know, why don't we start with uh, just a quick introduction uh, for our listeners as far as you know, who you are, your experience, what you do here at the Monitor, what, what, what the Monitor's goal is as far as, you know, being in the, the news and publishing space. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been with the Christian Science Monitor for six years now. And uh, when I came in, you know, the, the Monitor was looking to really build out its analytics practice um, and start to use it uh, more heavily to understand how Uh, customers and readers were uh, accessing content on the monitor website Um, and so started building it out using Adobe they were an Adobe shop um, when I started but it was like part-time of like a finance person to do analytics okay uh, which I think you find lots of places where it's like a part-time role it could be in finance or IT or Mm -hmm. marketing Um, and 
really they were looking to establish it as a full-time role and uh, live within the marketing group at the monitor um, and support both marketing and editorial with data. Uh, so analytics was set up as a sort of straddle group where I lived in marketing, but um, had dotted lines to editorial as well as marketing here um, and really revamped it um, with the help of some interns to start uh, and then um, a full-time analyst hire a year and a half after that. Um, and now, and then, uh, so about a year and a half ago, um, what we were looking to do is uh, Adobe, uh, in the old days, you used to, like if you, uh, if you had multiple web properties, you had to build out crazy infrastructures through Adobe to do it. So if you look at like, probably the gap is still in that category of having a, a master report suite and then some uh, different report suites on top of that that you had to pay for. Mm -hmm. um, and then with this new concept of virtual report suites, uh, you can add in uh, numerous web properties um, all under your, your one contract, which is great. Um, so when that came out or after that came out, um, the Monitor is part of the Christian Science Publishing Society. Uh, the Monitor, uh, you know, is an international newspaper. Um, the, the main motto is to injure no man, but bless all mankind uh, through journalism. And so uh, we write a lot of uh, stories on um, a lot of U.S., but also international stories uh, that all focus on um, the global impact of the news um, and really reporting on progress where progress doesn't have to be one-sided. Um, so we really focus on, it, it's it's impossible, but to be as unbiased as we can mm -hmm. um, in reporting, um, but to not focus on sides, but focus on the progress being made agnostic of the side that of the political spectrum that you fall in on. Um, and so our, our sort of pillars are quality journalism, uh, a global uh, global base of reporting um, and focusing on progress. Um, and that extends to the other uh, church publications. So um, the monitor uh, leader board and board of trustees is, is the church. Um, and so uh, the, you think of like the New York Times, they're a publicly, oh, well, private and publicly traded company. So the shareholders and the family trust, you know, are who's making the decisions here, there at the New York Times here, it's uh, a board of trustees for the church, but they really empower uh, the leadership of the monitor, the editor and the publisher to, to run the paper uh, with those three pillars in mind. Um, but we have other church publications for Christian scientists and um, getting those all into Adobe um, and tagged as virtual report suites all rolling up into one, we can we can see a lot more information about the customers. So I don't know, that's a long-winded answer to how analytics started here and where it's evolved to. Um, but we're really leveraging 33 Sticks as a partner um, to help with those implementations, but also to serve as analysts for uh, all these properties um, because uh, basically, myself and one or two others um, are the only analysts for um, the monitor um, and the church side 
basically doesn't have any analysts. And so 33 Sticks has stepped in and filled that void um, in a really strong way. Uh, so we're looking forward to continuing that going forward. That's, that's awesome. So I, I should, um, I should divulge that I, I am a subscriber to the monitor, um, in, in a time where there's so much shouting and noise and draw for attention. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of analytics behind this as far as, uh, how we're getting attention in publishing. Are we getting more readership? Are they reading more content? I, I imagine it's extremely difficult, but, but for me, um, the the mission that the monitor has to produce quality journalism uh, again in a time where i think it could be very easy for publications to get into this game of just trying to produce sound bites is 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 really great um because the quality of journalism is fantastic and as you mentioned there's a a really wide breadth of of topics that are covered and then within those topics they go so deep um and i think i tweeted about it a while ago i love the feature with the little uh, slider where you can look at the kind of short version or the long version, but even the short version goes into depth. So I should just throw it out there that I, I subscribe to the monitor and I love the the content and depth um, of the reporting. It's uh, it's very much needed, especially today. Yeah, and I'd say you know we <laughs> the monitor is a 110 plus year old publication uh, started as print media, uh, switched to weekly print in 2007. Um, as like a magazine format, mm-hmm. um, and only a year, a year and a half ago, launched a robust digital product, and that's what Jason's referring to here as the digital product. Yeah, um, and we did that through uh, analytics, tech, uh, marketing, and editorial all coming together in a sprint agile format and doing a design sprint. Actually, it was multiple design sprints to iterate with that product focus of designing a digital product. Um, and that's where that, why we wrote this 30 second read uh, stemmed from is a lot of uh, iteration on the product and user testing um, and then live data um, and uh, an- analytics coming in for the subscribers that we migrated over early and finding out what features and functionality they were utilizing um, and then surveys and other things to get the, um, the qualitative feedback as well. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, one of the burning questions that I have, um, is what, what major changes have you seen over the last six years? And maybe things don't change as, as quickly in publishing six years as many, many lifetimes in, in tech, but as, as more publications are, are going digital, we've seen massive changes to the landscape, um, I'm interested in in your perspective from a a measurement, from an analytics, from a readership perspective. What what major changes have you seen over your six years at the Monitor, and um, what has kind of been the reaction to uh, other publications maybe struggling? So here in the the Salt Lake area, uh, we have the Salt Lake Tribune, which has for a long time been an independent voice. We have a really strong uh, religious voice here and they've always been the counter to that. Um, but as things went online, um, they struggled. I think earlier this year, they laid off a third of their newsroom, which was really um, sad to see. Um, they've put up a paywall and I think they're trying to figure out where they fit in. And, and now they're trying to maybe more appease the masses so that they can get revenues up. 
Um, so lots of things happening really quickly in publishing. What what major major changes have you seen um, from an analytics perspective? Um, and and what are kind of thoughts internally as things shift to go more digital? Yeah, I um, I mean I've I've in the conferences that I've attended that are journalism specific uh, or media specific. Um, this the sort of trend or thirty thousand foot view that's evolved this last year is that media messed it up the first go around um, with uh, basically being free um, online online and digital access to content being one hundred percent free um, and then trying to eke out small dollars uh, from people as entry-level pricing and then move them up to premium pricing um, versus uh, starting with a stake in the ground that uh, this is premium content and it is worth your money um, and you have to support journalism with dollars uh, to, to keep up the quality. Um, I think that's where we're evolving to is, is a lot of news organizations Realizing it and doing the paywall um, is is a quick solution, um, but really trying to express the premium nature, the premium value for your product. And I think that's what we're trying to do here, and we're not doing a great job at it. To be quite blunt, is um, there's a big disconnect right now with our meter, where you get five articles for free, and we're not doing enough. In my my opinion, we're not doing enough to showcase our value during those five free reads um, and really signal that we are a premium site that costs $11 a month uh, to subscribe to. Um, so we're working on that with our AB testing program and some other things, but um, I think the industry overall uh, starting out free and now trying to go paid both, both online digital, but also the magazine world. I mean, you can still you still get offers for magazines that are, you know, $10 for a whole year. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, like why? Like versus paying $90 or $110 for a magazine for the whole year. Um, I think the ones that are going to, to win out are the ones that can prove their premium value without having to sort of bait and switch people along yeah. the way. For sure, one of, one of the things that I struggle with is just information overload. And um, in your experience from attending some of these industry events and talking with uh, your colleagues in the industry, what are the the thoughts around using analytics, technology, machine learning, uh, what what have you to help maybe um, clear out some of that noise, or maybe on the yeah. other end, just offer some kind of methodology for readers to organize information, because it, it is one of the things I struggle with. Um, and maybe that's kind of what you're, you're, you're doing with um, how you place your top articles. I know you've got um, a daily podcast called the monitor daily, where you surface the top kind of things that are, are happening. But um, what's the industry talk around, um, helping users just deal with information overload? Yeah, um, I don't think I have a good answer to that, or I don't have a positive answer to that. Um, I don't know that uh, this is this is definitely my my view have being able to work at the monitor in that part of the freedom of of uh, having the leadership structure that we have is that we can focus on the customer base. 
and making sure that our product works for that customer. Um, and when I say customer, I mean human beings and people that are reading us. Um, my, my negative connotation of some, some other news organizations is that their customer is still the advertisers um, and, the, and the readers are uh, the, the eyeballs and the people that they're gathering for their advertisers. Um, and so my answer to your question is that I'm not sure that other news organizations are going to do a lot to consolidate or present to you or allow you to customize for your reading habits um, because they're, they're just, not just, they're trying to get people to read anything yeah. uh, on their site. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point. And it, I, I have a follow up question around what metrics you're kind of looking at. You mentioned the desire to measure and make sure you're putting high quality content that help can that can help move uh, a customer from a free to a, a paid state. Um, historically, and, and still a lot of publications, we see page views as the metric. They just want to yeah. drive readership to your point to the point where, uh, and I think our local papers aren't doing this anymore, but at one point they were breaking the story up into three or four or five digital pages just to drive more ad impressions. It was a horrible yeah. experience, but I get why they were doing it. Um, we so that what, too. Yeah. yeah. So, so what metrics are you looking at today? Um, and what are kind of your ideal metrics as you talk about making sure you're getting the right content in front of people? Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say like, it's, it is really interesting because I do think personalization comes into it, um, both from on the business side, the meter, uh, like I, I recently heard, uh, from the wall street journal that they, you know, run tests on their meter. Um, to open it up, close it down. Like they basically have a lockdown site, but um, if they've, you know, there's there's different ways that um, they open it up or other sites, the meter is three when you're reading sports articles, uh, but uh, five if you're reading general news because they just know you're more inclined to be willing to pay for that local regional sports coverage mm -hmm. um, than you are to be paying for, local and national news. And so you need more with local and national news at like, you know, a Salt Lake paper than if somebody's totally into the, to the jazz, you know, you can, you can uh, limit their access earlier um, and get them to potentially pay for that content earlier uh, than you would otherwise. So personalization around meter is something we're playing with um, and just understanding the likelihood to subscribe um, and us uh, showcasing you the value prop, um, whether it's at five articles a month, three articles a month, or even you just get one and then you have to, to consider paying. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting, but um, yeah, I'm trying to think how else to answer that. Um, no, I think, I think that was, it was helpful. Um, I guess another angle to look at and something that I've often thought a, a lot about is how important is it to um, understand or, or drive the value of your mission and what you're doing so that people want to pay, not just for the quality of content, but it's the, the yeah. right thing to do. Because, you know, it is so easy if, 
you have a little bit of tech knowledge to work around a, a paywall, but you know, what's the, the yeah. right thing to do. And, you know, for me, it's, it's something I've thought a lot about because, you know, we'll pay for Netflix or for a satellite radio subscription that is much more than a subscription to the monitor, but we don't even right. think about it yet when it comes to consuming news, which is so critically important. We, we kind of, balk it at paying for it so how important it is to the monitor and i guess the industry as a whole to help cultivate the the idea that this is the right thing to do to support and pay for for quality content yeah i it that's something that you know we are constantly trying to figure out what our message is i think for us um we're attempting to do that through uh uh Basically, if you we have different levels that you can come in at. I mean, we have one paid product, but we have free newsletters still. But free newsletters increment the meter, and so you more likelihood to hit a meter in a month uh, for a newsletter subscriber because you're adding a push notification basically through their inbox of here's content from the monitor, come read it. Um, but what we're doing now with our email vendor is also. Uh, when somebody signs up for a newsletter, creating a, a journey to expose them to our brand and our value proposition. So again, there's we just we just did a uh, we did two one week sprints um, to develop a 90 day communication plan uh, for somebody that joins a free newsletter. And it again it focused on those three pillars of quality journalism, progress in the world, and uh, being a global news organization, and how how those emails over the 90 days communicate that value, whether it focuses on one pillar or two, we wanted to make sure that um, we bring people into our content. Once they're familiar with our content, um, we start talking about our paid product um, and other newsletters and other things so that engagement goes up, likelihood to subscribe goes up. And we've, we've learned that over time. That isn't like, a, oh, we have this email tool. Everybody has an email tool. Um, it's more, uh, leveraging um, data analysis that we've done over the years around uh, what people do in the months leading up to a subscription um, and what content they read and how often they read us um, that's led to these decisions. Um, so I can go into that a little bit if you want me to. Yeah, that, that, that would be interesting and also interesting to hear that as you're learning more about that, is that something you're looking to feedback into your personalization program so um, yes. you can start to personalize that journey? Yes. Uh, so the answer is yes, uh, yes, and yes. So uh, with, with personalization, like we don't have a data science organization. Um, we don't have a data warehouse either. Um, so how the heck do we analyze data if we don't have a data warehouse and we don't have data scientists on the team? Um, so we're a nonprofit, uh, which I don't know that I've mentioned yet, but it's kind of self intuitive. Um, but as a nonprofit, you know, with analytics staff is pretty small. We supplement it with, you know, 33 sticks supporting us, but we also leverage, uh, the fact that we're in Boston. And so over those six years, um, We've met up with a number of the schools in the area, a number of the um, masters and PhD programs in the area, uh, and really uh, we've worked with masters programs for MBA programs at uh, MIT and Babson. We've worked with uh, data science programs at MIT 
at the master's level. And then this last one was with the PhD program at MIT. And that's the one where it finally sort of clicked. I think the issue with, not the issue, with the master's programs, the projects had to be small in scope and achievable in a semester timeframe. Um, and so sort of that data science piece was missing from that because it was like a quick look, answer one or two questions, stop. Mm -hmm. um, where once we started working with the MIT PhD program um, and the freedom that publishers have, so any publishers out there, maybe the publicly traded ones are having a would have a bit more difficulty with this, but as a nonprofit publisher, giving people free reign to our data, like all of our click data, not an issue. Like if you're in finance, if you're, you know, if you're Fidelity or if you're a retailer, Talbot, L.L. Bean, like giving that full access to data is problematic mm -hmm. um, or requires NDAs and all kinds of other fun stuff. With us, it's like, no, here go, analyze it. You have, you have all our raw click data. Uh, MIT PhD program can store that on Amazon Web Service. They can give us access to it so we can uh, play with it if we want to. But they really did a long study of our click data and looking at the, the, the end result was they looked at the six months leading up to a subscription and what people uh, did that were more likely to subscribe versus the people that didn't subscribe. Um, and the results of that some of it's self-intuitive and like, oh, yeah, you know that. But even that self-intuitive stuff like, oh, they read multiple articles in a month. It's like, OK, but now we know that that's data driven. It's not just like one person's opinion mm -hmm. and I can dismiss it if I want to dismiss it or agree with it if I want to agree with it. It's like, no, this is proven out. Um, the other thing that we learned is that um, people that read multiple sections of content. So meaning they read a science article and a politics article and an education article and an Africa article are more likely to subscribe than somebody that read four articles in politics um, and just stayed in politics or maybe read politics and one other thing in USA. Um, so that cross cross topic behavior uh, was a key finding from the MIT research. Um, and looking back on it, it's kind of common sense because, Jason, you know, in, in reading the product, the actual paid product is diverse. It is not all politics news, all, you know, Africa news. It's it it picks the key stories of the day from the whole world. Um, and there's a thread that threads them all together, but it's a diverse set of five articles that goes out every day in the in csmonitor.com slash daily content. Um, and so, uh, that really was an aha moment of like, oh, okay. So how that feeds into personalization now is, uh, at the end of articles, there's next up and, uh, most viewed and we can start to, um, or most popular, whatever you want to call it, but like we can start to change the, the rule configuration for most popular to make sure that of the three, five articles that are listed there, um, that is showcasing a mix. Um, and that if you're on a politics story, the next up might be politics focused, but we might want to strip out of the most viewed any other politics content and really feature content from the rest of the site. Just to try to leverage that finding from MIT of they read multiple sections on the site. 
Wow, that's 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 fascinating. And I didn't realize you were doing that with some of the local universities. It's um, it's very much needed. I, I know it's something that the higher ed space struggles with um, is just access to real data and real world challenges. Yeah, real um, data, real data that isn't like, oh, we stripped out all the yeah. <laughs> the key data and you're left with garbage. That's that's yeah. right. And, and that's what they, they get a lot of times. You brought up retail um, and having seen some of the data sets that these uh, master's programs work with, um, theoretically, it's it's fine, but it's, it's, it's difficult to apply from a real world perspective because it's just not reality. So that's, that's fantastic you're doing it. You're obviously getting great value back from that, but providing amazing value to those students that otherwise um, would be stuck just in theory until they get the opportunity to, to kind of go out into the real world. Yeah, and I and I say MIT. That's where it started. But like, as we progress, like the three three core people we were we were working with, they're all at different universities now as like professors and teachers and that. But they're that's still awesome. connected through this data project, which is great. Yeah, that is that is very cool. So yeah, excited to see what you're you're doing down that personalization path because there there is a lot, and where readers are not all the same. And I think that's you know using the data science programs you're using to guide get a sense of what those different paths might look like and be able to understand. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think I think using using your own data to develop those personalization rules is important. Even even just. Or, or figuring out how to tweak the out-of-the-box ones to meet what you do know about your customers. So Adobe Target has a lot of out-of-the-box personalization algorithms, typically focused on retail and mm. finance. So there's not much for publishers there, or there wasn't when we looked at it before. But you could even try to tweak one of those with some of your own uh, findings uh, to make those better. And it's just Keep iterating on it. Keep trying to make it better um, as you evolve as a as an organization. And if we switched our product to be more niche, you know, or something like that, then you'd have to adjust those those rules. Yeah, and it's funny that that actually leads into one of the questions I had. So in our last episode, Jen and I were were talking. We got like into the nitty gritty of you know very various technical things. And one of the things we kept coming back to is is with, with retail, like there, there's tried and true best practices when it comes to data collection in retail. Uh, and regardless of the retailer, when, when you go in, you, you know what you need to collect and, and whatnot. But, you know, you were talking about Target there. What other things have you seen from a data collection and an analysis perspective where publishing, it's a bit different? Because one of the things I found is it's it's very dependent upon the publisher yeah. versus again, like we're with e-commerce where there, there's just so many tried and true best practices, regardless of retailer. Yeah. I, I'd say a lot of the, the add-ons and tools or services that vendors come at you with mm-hmm. aren't applicable for publishers or are harder um, to, to use for publishers or might not lend as much value for publishers. And I think part of that is just, the value prop for publishers is so hard mm-hmm. um, where it's it's like 2 million people come to your website to read an article every month and you have 10,000 subscribers. So there's a huge mm-hmm. narrowing of the funnel as you go down. Um, yeah, I, I, I think publishers are kind of, you have to be more creative about how you use these tools and how you implement 
um, third-party support for personalization um, or targeting or mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's find the right vendor, find the right tool that meets your customer needs. So defining who your customer is or who your ideal customer is, mm -hmm. and then working back from that and trying to find a vendor that, that fits that need. So like, we don't want to be egregious towards any new reader to our website um, and hit them with a ton of things right on that landing page, whether it be advertising and overloading the page with advertising. Cause it's like, this is our one chance with you and we're going to make as much money as we can off of this one article you're reading hmm. just in advertising, or we're going to bombard you with pop-ups and widgets and sliders and leave behinds and all hmm. these things. Um, it's there, you know, there are tools and resources out there that you can leverage to get that same impact of somebody that can afford it all. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just getting creative with either your internal team, if you have a good tech team internally to build personalization rules um, based on analytics data. So that's that's kind of how our most views, most viewed started mm -hmm. um, was uh, a number of years ago uh, just looking at what people were reading and coming up with rules for most popular, um, that was kind of not just taking page view data, um, but understanding, um, page view data based on segmentation of like core customers, the, the customers that come back frequently, um, and trying to showcase that more branded content. Um, and so that flowed through to, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but that for the monitor that flowed through to, uh, editorial support too. Mm -hmm. Um, so our editorial group was honestly getting frustrated with the fact that, you know, if we post a wire story, it gets picked up on Google news and other places where there are lots of people going there as a starting point when they have time to read news. They're going to a Google News or a Bing or a Yahoo or wherever mm -hmm. and finding us, but they're finding oftentimes they're finding our wire content because that's what's trending and that's what's right now. Um, whereas a story, um, you know, on, I don't know, uh, a story that has more depth to it is more monitor brand, but isn't timely, you know, would get traffic that was 10 times less. Mm -hmm. And so that straight traffic view wasn't really a monitor brand, monitor core value view. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we've worked really hard in analytics to sit down with leadership, sit down with editorial, understand the things that are important to them for success and building a robust report um, that, yeah, page views is part of it, but it's a tenth of the score. Mm -hmm. And the other 90% is built on things like how many paid subscribers read it, and that's weighted more heavily. Mm -hmm. How many uh, potential subscribers that shared, how many potential subscribers that uh, went to the newsletter signup page, um, and, and starting to weight things in importance of um, those deeper levels of engagement, mm -hmm. um, and really giving editorial a score back that, you know, in the old days would say, hey, this wire is the top story. Now it's saying, Actually, the wires, the you know, eleventh top story. These other things, even though they got less traffic, they meant more to our paying customers. They meant more to our 
uh, potential customers and editorial on the qualitative side, you guys scored them higher. You said this article, we feel publishing it is most aligned with brand and, mm -hmm. and they're doing some scoring on their own that goes into uh, an overall dashboard, overall score um, that we're then looking at and making business decisions based on, uh, mostly for the product. Okay. Um, now, what you just said may partially answer this next question, but like you know, a couple of things you said, you know, one, you mentioned you're a nonprofit publisher. Yeah. And then you also mentioned value prop in context of the other question. Um, how do you make the argument to, to management on the value of analytics? And that, that, that's a very broad yeah. bucket of analytics and personalization, everything that goes in there, the, the cost of the tool, the yep. cost to actually implement it, the cost to maintain it. And then also the, the, the resources to actually use it, yeah. um, you use the data um, and you know, actually drive some insights off of it. How, how do you make that argument? Um, yeah, it's, it, it comes up frequently, uh, but I, I mean, uh, the tool, the analytics tools, um, the decisions based on data, I think that's the starting point. Mm -hmm. Is that having a having a culture within uh, the publishing organization that you work for um, that is derived from uh, senior leadership looking to make um, product decisions, but then customer decisions mm -hmm. based on data is where we start from. Um, and so the value of a testing program uh, and um, learning, it's really a learning program, um, or product enhancement program. Like, uh, yes, we went through this big effort a year and a half ago to launch a brand new digital product. But after that, we've been iterating through testing uh, to make the product stronger and to add features like the podcast and to add, um, uh, to add other, uh, to understand the importance of infographics and other things, uh, for, the product's longevity um, and how frequently they should be included, you know, day by day. Should it be every day there's an infographic or once a week or once a month? And those are things that if you don't have data to support it, mm -hmm. it's it's going to be the highest paid person's personal opinion. Okay. And that person may or may not be aligned with the customer base. Mm -hmm. um, and so understanding how customers value new features and functions. I, I think that's why analytics stays around. Mm -hmm. um, having a paid product is super important to that. I think I would have a much harder time justifying analytics and justifying a testing program in particular, if we were still hundred percent ad based mm -hmm. because well, if the tests, the tests that we would be producing for, like if we were still hundred percent ad based and didn't have a product to sell people, would be about driving additional article page reads or additional page views mm -hmm. or anything that drives depth of visit up um, because that's where the money would be coming from is from advertising. Um, having a product um, allows us to, uh, I think, be more aligned with our core values in all honesty um, of promoting our journalism to um, a paying subscriber base and getting more people to pay for the news uh, justifies that mission further. So you, you, you said something that was very subtle, but deeply profound that I, I want to highlight. Um, because not, 
a lot of organizations look at it like that. You said it's not necessarily a testing program. It's a learning program. Um, yeah. It's such a beautiful way to look at it because so many organizations look at testing as how many tests can we run? You know, did this test produce lift? Regardless if that lift is even sustainable or not, that's how they measure the success of that program. And there's so much more value to be gained when you look at it the right way. I, I hadn't heard that term used before, but I, I love thinking about it as a, as a learning program. That's such a profound way to, to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think where that Jason, where that um, really comes to fruition uh, is how do you support learning where uh, like an example here is uh, we have a, a gift subscription that we pretty much feature at the holiday season mm-hmm. um, and back to school season and, you know, s- different periods of the year, but really the holiday season. And so as we're thinking about that offering to uh, potential subscribers as like give a gift or to our current customer base and like, here's a great gift option for you this holiday season. Um the testing program comes into play around that concept of learning. It's like, all right, what what do we want to do? All right, well, the bottom line is we want to drive as many gift subscriptions as we can. But it's like, what else do we want to learn about gift subscriptions? And I think that's where testing comes into play. It's like, we want to learn how to best communicate to subscribers the value of this gift and to spread the word and to share with more people what you love about reading the monitor. Um, and so you can do a test that really leverages those those value prop statements and goes at it in different ways and then learns quickly and sends the winner out to everybody. You know, like, so you don't have to, hopefully we can get more gifts through providing more value to our current subscribers and, and also those that are on the fence and like, well, I'll try you out as a gift. Like I'll give a gift to myself. Like I'd love to, I mean, it's, it's hokey, but nobody's stopping you from giving a gift to yourself. If you're like on the fence and don't want to pay it, you know, $11 a month for the monitor. It's like, well, I'll give it a three month trial. And that's a gift. Mm. Um, There's no, so figuring out if we can, I, I don't know, we'll figure out if we can do something along those lines too, but it's that learning, learning through testing concept. I think you're right. Like, that's the importance of testing, not to find the highest traffic page and just test the heck out of it and have a test every week going there and come up with a roadmap for what you're going to do next. Who cares after yeah. a while? Like it just it, it'll fail after a while. I love it. I love it. Um, man, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. I guess the last question that that I'd have for you is what what is your vision? What as, what do you see over the next you know one to two years as publishing continues to figure out what this transition to more and more digital looks like. What, what's your vision for how data testing, um, personalization, what's, what's going to change and what would you like to see happen? Um, I mean, where we are right now as a organization, um, it, it's that I, I feel like analytics is, is on the cusp or, some are there because they've paid for ways to do it, but of understanding the person um, in a much better way. Um, and what I mean by that is like a typical analytics implementation uh, measures your device and browser combination. So the fact that I'm on a Dell PC on Chrome, 
um, that makes me Todd one. And then Todd two is on my phone on a iOS and Safari combination. And then Todd three is when I open up Chrome on my phone. It's, <laughs> so I have three versions of me all reading different websites and the monitor and, you know, and, and that's what we're struggling with right now is how to tie all those together. And you can do that when you have a subscription product and a login, but publishers, oh my gosh, like getting somebody to log in, forget it. Um, why? Why do they have to? They don't if you have free content. So, and even when they come through a paid product, unless there's a reason for them to log in, um, they don't see a need to until they're forced to. So we have logged in subscribers that come back and they're not, they're logged out because like the 30 day cookies expired or whatever. And until they've read five articles, they don't know that they're not signed in mm -hmm. um, until they get the meter basically. Even though one of the benefits of the monitor is you get an ad free experience when you're logged in, mm -hmm. they don't notice the ads. They're just sort of that we don't have very many, but they're on the side. They just blend yeah. In. They blend in like, so anyway, so the point of this was to get at the point that like understanding the person, um, is something that I think the industry is going to be moving towards. Um, and what, what that, what that gets you is a better understanding for whatever product you are, finance, retail, publishing of when that person has time for you and can fit you into their day and when you can add value to their day. Um, and so for the monitor, we've been the printed word forever. Um, and that's what we, that's our core competency is, is the written word printed for you, whether that's on a screen um, or in a magazine format. Um, but what we're trying to do is really understand the people reading us and the people coming to us and serve them more broadly for that limited amount of time that they can spend with us each day or each week or each month. Um, and I think Organizations as a whole would do a lot better with their customer base if they worked hard to figure that out. Um, and right now the data is saying like, you know, my, my Todd one, Todd two, Todd three, all have different times spent, different times a day um, that they engage with the monitor. And I can only understand Todd one and Todd two and Todd three. I'd like to be able to understand Todd overall. Um, that's what we're moving towards. I think the industry is, is there, we're not, um, or it's on the cusp and we're hopefully coming along for the ride. Absolute fantastic conversation and um, a real pleasure, Todd, to have you join us. I appreciate you you stopping by and, and recording with us. Um, if people are in publishing, this is going to be an absolute must listen, but anyone really that is interested in data and personalization, we're all consumers of publication content. Um, so I think this is going to be a very um, entertaining and valuable episode to listen to. So really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, no problem. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I echo Jason's statements there and, uh, fun conversation and great again to catch up in person yeah um even though it's it's not hawaii i still love coming up to boston <laughs> uh, boston's one of my favorite places to, to to visit um it's a beautiful day um so i'm hoping this Finally. time around um 
no issues getting home. The last time I came up, I, uh, I got stranded overnight. Yes. <laughs> you should be able to get home to Philly today. Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, thanks again. And uh, we will talk to everybody later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com. The 33 Tangents podcast is a production of 33 Sticks.